Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to be with you. Thanks for joining us on this series called Nothing to Lose. Last week, we looked at that whole concept of living like there's nothing to lose. And we, we looked at that concept that if as long as I feel that my life is going to be less with Jesus, as long as we feel like we're going to be limited, we're going to be on the sidelines. We're going to be watching Jesus work in other people or even calling it watching religion work in other people, but we're not going to be in the game. And we talked about how really that, that step in trusting and, and to really live as if you can give up your life to make Christ greater in your life, there's really nothing to lose, how to live with that mindset. So today we're going to be talking about how to give like there's nothing to lose. And I just want to say a few things. Number one, we've already taken the offering. We're not doing it again. So everyone relax. Secondly, there's not going to be, um, there's no guilt and shame in this. We just want to have an open, honest conversation about it. Third, there's no financial crisis at Fellowship Bible Church. And that's why people, I mean, people have been generous here. So God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. It's not like we give so that we can get something from God. That can't be the motive that we do this. But here's what I believe. I believe if we can lean into God's word and we can look at what God does when we give and we can, we can have that mindset and have the mindset that really there's nothing to lose by generosity, I will trust the Holy Spirit that he will work in your heart. Because here's the deal. You find the money to do what you want to do. Avengers opened last week. Where'd you get that money? <laughs> $1.2 billion. United States of America. Where did we get that money? From us, we found it. I don't know, it was just towards the end of the, end of the month. I don't know, I found it, I want to go to see Avengers. And that doesn't even count popcorn. That's just the movie price. $1.2 billion. We find the money to do what we want to do. So is giving in our mindset Well, Paul kind of speaks to us in this. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want you to look at the last verse of Paul's big talk on the area of generosity. And, And here is his major point. He says this, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That word inexpressible in the Greek is the only place inside or outside of the scriptures where it's used. So most commentators believe that Paul made that word up. You have a word that you make up? Most of our families have them. They're usually passed on to generations. That word, it's not in the English dictionary, but grandma made it up. So that's just what we said. You know what our word is at the Hishma house? Fantabulous. That's that word. It's not in the English dictionary, but it's the melding of fabulous with fantastic. Fantabulous. And when something really happens that's greater than great, I go, that's fantabulous. And my family knows there's no word to describe how dad feels right now. And that's exactly what Paul does here. He says, thanks be to God for his fantabulous gift. It's greater than great. What is that gift? It's the gift of salvation through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's all because of what Christ has done in our lives. That is the greatest gift. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. It's all through his grace. 
And so church, realize everything that God wants to do here is to be a reflector of his gift to us. And by the way, God always does that. If he calls us to a direction, he's never going to go figure it out. He's always going to say, no, this is what it looks like. So if he's going to call me to love my wife, he's going to say, as I love the church and gave myself up for her. So in order for me to love my wife, I have to give up myself. That's a tough one. I didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. And then we didn't know how selfish we were until we had kids. Yeah, the great confronter of just, you know, we need this. I got to have this. We don't have sleep. We've got to have, we have to have a selfless life to love. And then how do I forgive someone? I mean, forgiveness is really, really hard. How to forgive. Jesus says, forgive as God in Christ forgave you, right? That's the model. The model of how Christ forgives me is the model I need to use to forgive you. And here... We get a picture of how do I give? Give like Jesus gave to you. Okay, so everything is gospel driven in our lives. We're called to the pattern and the measure of Jesus. And that's why it's so important. All of us are imperfect, imperfect pictures of Christ followers, but we still have the example, right? And that's why Christians aren't perfect, but they're following someone who is. And that is going to be our task, our, our task on this. So as you think about that, as Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What our target is and our goal for generosity is joyful generosity that reflects the grace of God. So let's talk about that. And it's a, really a, a deal of a mindset. And if I give as if there's something to lose... Okay? If there is something to lose, it's going to change my mindset on giving. So what are some of those things that have to do with our mindset? And the first one is this. It's my obligations. And you can look at what you make, and you can look at how much you owe, and you can look at all the expenses over your your month, and you can say, if I give, I won't have enough to do this. I won't have enough to pay my bills. I won't have, because every dollar I make is spoken for. And my goodness, if that's the case, giving might be a threat to you. If you're wondering where that next dollar is going to come from, if you're living beyond your means, I mean, that's going to be, I won't be able to, I won't have enough to do this. And I get that. I get it. I really do. I get that. We live in a culture that no matter how much you make, there's always a spending plan for you. Amazon says, usually these things are brought together. That's how they get to spend you to spend more. So you buy that, but you can't have that without that. And you can't have that without that. So it's, it's a structured marketing thing. So you're not spending five bucks. You're spending 15. And pretty soon you make a few, four or five or six of those purchases. And because they get to you in two days or less. They can be yours right now. It doesn't matter what you make. If you just put up uh, online, you just put in, uh, how much can you buy for this? And you put your income there. They would have a lifestyle for you. And it's all there. There's more data points on you now than there's ever been. And it's all driven by you to wanting to get to spend more. So giving, it will be a threat to your living if you think about obligations. And so here's another one. That keeps us on the sidelines. Opportunities. 
And what I mean by opportunities is, is, is that when you think about, if I give, I won't get to go on vacation. I won't get to go to Branson. I won't get to go to that concert. I won't get to buy a new motorcycle. I won't get to do all these things because giving will keep me from all these opportunities. And with obligations, my goodness, we love opportunities. We love to have, when I have this, it's just for me. Don't rob me of my fun by asking me to give. And that will keep us on the sidelines too. And I get it. I get it. There's many things that spark our interest. Right now, if I just said, what do you want? What do you want to buy? I think you guys could each give me your, your watch list or your dream list of things you want to buy. We all have that. We live in a very consumeristic market. And giving, if you view it from this mindset, will be a threat to opportunities, those areas that give us joy. And here's another one that we get, and this we have a little bit more rationale for. It's called options. And we like our options. We like choice. And when we don't give out of this mindset, we go, well, I won't be able to. If I don't, if I give, I won't be able to, here's a big one, retire. I mean, retire the way I want to retire is usually what that comes down to. And I get that one too. My goodness, as I grow up a little bit more, um, I get, and I think about the increasing medical costs that there are in retirement. And man, I don't want to be a drain or a strain to my family. I don't want to be a burden to them. So I think about now, how can I start saving for the future so that I have the option to make some of those choices and my family's not making them for me and I'm not being a strain or a burden. And those are all natural responses. But all of this views it as I have something to lose if I give. I don't know which one is just operating out of your mindset right now. But we're going to now just kind of unpack um, a direction that is a change of mindset. Because this is a mindset that's more out of scarcity. And I get that money is a scarcity. But it also equates money to giving as from out of scarcity. And I don't think that's the mindset of what God calls us into. And so if we're viewing it as this, we're going to get far less and we're going to be living for far less and we'll be living as if there's something to lose. And that's not God's plan for us. And so, and I just want to say one thing before I move on. It doesn't matter how much you make. I know people who make combined income of $38,000 a year and they manage to meet their obligations to have some opportunities and to be generous. And to be generous. They have control over their finances and they find it freedom. And I also know people in this six-figure income who are wondering, oh my goodness, what are we going to do to pay all these bills? This got out of hand. We bought not only the Harley, but we bought the matching Harley. We didn't just buy the vacation home. We bought the jet skis and the ski nautique and the and the extravagant vacation in February. It doesn't matter how much you make. It's the mindset that you operate with. And, and so just take that to heart. This matters to all of us. And as we, as we think through it, what picture do we need? 
We need a new mindset. And that's what Paul is going to build for us. We need to move from scarcity, where we're thinking I'm giving, it's something to lose, to more of a picture of abundance, where giving, like, there's nothing to lose. So how do we see it? How does God see this? God sees this as nothing more than planting and harvesting. Planting and harvesting. Any of you guys grow up in a, on, on a farm? Anyone? Yes. Okay. And you, great. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Um, I remember uh, my dad had a farm. It was an hour north of our home. And I just remember springtime. Springtime every year was a time for planting. And I knew that as my dad planted corn, because it was Wisconsin, because he planted corn, he planted not with a view towards planting, but a view towards harvesting. And this is the image that we're provided here. Take a look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows, or that word in our vernacular is whoever plants sparingly, will also harvest or reap sparingly. And whoever sows or plants bountifully or generously will also reap or harvest generously or bountifully. And Paul doesn't move beyond being a farmer. I kind of like that. It kind of gives us a picture of showing a, a, a man or a woman who goes out into a field and plants a crop. And if you think about it, it's not that glamorous in the spring. Here in Kansas, things are, well, if you have wheat, you plant it in the fall. But in Wisconsin, the field was just plowed, it looked black, and they just planted seeds in. It didn't look too much different after the planting than before they planted. But let's become farmers on this. You have this field, you have this seed that you've been given by God, and it's springtime. And you look at the field, and it looks empty. It looks barren, even scarce. So it's tempting to think that whatever you plant into it will will just kind of stick around. It won't really develop anything. But you're a farmer, and you believe in the seed, you believe in the soil, and you believe in water and and sunlight. And you trust the seed into the field, not because you have this vision in mind, but because you have this vision in mind, because you have harvesting in mind. That's why a farmer plants the seed. They don't just check their list at the end. They're planted. We'll see ya. No, they're, that's why they plant for the harvest. If I plant for an empty field and I just think it's lost, it's gone. No, all the anticipation, all the expectation happens when I plant because we let the seed mix with the soil and the sunlight and the rain and look what happens. That's how generosity, that's how giving has to be viewed. It's a change of mindset. Now, let me give you a picture of what Paul is talking about. He had a church named Corinth. Hence, if you look up on the top of your Bible, it says First or Second Corinthians. That's a church in Corinth. It was a Gentile Roman city that was affluent and influential in the Roman Empire. It was, was kind of like a Los Angeles of... Of Some would say Vegas, but it, it was Los Angeles of the biblical world, and they were wealthy. Their homes were nice, and way back in Jerusalem was this Jewish church, the first believing church in Jerusalem, because that's where Christianity began, where the place where the resurrection happened, and they were Jewish believers, and they were in famine. They were starving, 
And Paul saw that famine, and he said, how can we raise the resources to meet the needs of this church? And he went to the church in Corinth, and he looked at what they had, and he said, you could take some of that what you have, and if you were generous, you could make a difference in the church in Jerusalem. And the Corinthian church says, yeah, we've got a lot. We'll give some to Jerusalem. And then when Paul asked for it, they said, ah, we don't have it. So hence, you have 2 Corinthians. It's the payment due letter for them. He spends three chapters developing this argument. And it takes us sometimes three chapters of God's word to get into our hearts of how important and what he does with generosity. He said, look, if you give, this is how you give. This is the heart that you give. But if you give, this is what God will do in Jerusalem. And by the way, he shared this same vision with a very, very poor church. It was called the Macedonian church. They were in poverty. They were barely making it. And he said, hey, there's brothers and sisters who are Jewish believers and they're in Jerusalem and they're starving right now. Would you give some money to them? And they said, absolutely. And he's so unbelievably uh, confounded by this that out of their extreme poverty, God welled up rich generosity in their hearts. And, and he goes, unbelievable, unbelievable that they work. But the people who had the most were keeping it the most or spending it the most. So Paul said, we can't have this mindset because we have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose. So we, as Corinth, have to change our mindset. We have to start over on how we view generosity. So what does he say? What does he say? Look at this. He says, the point is whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then look at the heart of the matter. Verse 7. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. This is really the heart. And I love this, that God doesn't call us into guilt and shame. He calls us into cheerful. That word cheerful literally means hilarious giving. That means we go, (laughs) I gave that much. I gave that much. And some of us, if we saw our visa statements, would we spend that much on what? You know, we freak out. That's not hilarious giving. That's, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Here it's like, wow, unbelievable. Where our hearts overflow into our hands and we give. We give like there's nothing nothing to lose. That's our mindset. There is nothing to lose through generosity. So how and what does God do? He's going to show us six things that he does in our lives. Three of them are personal and three of them are in partnership. Let's look at that. And by partnership, what I mean is three of them he'll do with you whether or not you do this with others. The other three are what happens when a church actually becomes generous as a group of people. And I just look at everyone in this room. What happened if we all just practiced this in life? We trusted God with what he's already given to us. And it's not anyone getting a raise in here. No one has to win the lotto. It's just we're faithful. We allow God the opportunity to work through our generosity. Here's what happens. Number one, when I plant seeds into God's field, he's going to grow the grace of God in my life. And what I mean by that is we're going to see a picture of God's unrestrained, unconditional, no strings attached love in our lives. 
Nothing kind of connects you more into that than sacrificial generosity. When you are generous with your things, with money, with your resources, with your time, with your energy, God shows you a greater picture of grace. If you give, you can give out of works, by the way. Here's how that looks. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. You make my kids happy during church, I'll give in the offering. You preach a good message, preacher boy, and I might just give you 10 bucks this week, okay? Second, you have someone here who I don't think I like that much, I'm withholding, okay? None of us like that. That doesn't motivate, that's not a cheerful giver. That's reluctantly, that's waiting for things. Something changes here, a decision you don't like, I'll withhold that. Does withholding ever build relationship? ever build trust. It doesn't with your interest, your words. Some of us are in relationships that withhold love. Others kind of just vent. And giving can be that, but that's not grace. When you give no strings attached, by the way, when we give out of that, we're giving to the wrong person for the wrong reason. You don't give to me when you give to Fellowship Bible Church. You don't even give to Fellowship Bible Church when you give to Fellowship Bible. You give to God You give to God at what he's doing at Fellowship Bible Church. So let me just take that away. You're giving to the wrong person if you're giving to me. We've got to give to the Lord. And as we do that, we find out more about his grace, his undeserved. I don't think we deserve your giving, but I think God deserves your giving. Okay? Secondly, um, and by the way, look at what he says here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Let's stay rooted in the scripture here. Because my mind, if it's on my own mindset, I'll say, I won't be able to, I won't have enough for, I won't get to, all those types of things. But here it goes, giving just moves us into a whole picture of grace-based life. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So if, if I have a mindset that there's something to lose, I'm going to look at my ability or lack of it. And here, if I'm going to move into there's nothing to lose, then Paul says, God is able to do this. Grace, living by grace always depends on God to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. You want to grow in grace? Grow in giving. Second thing that Paul is going to call us to is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And when I plant seeds in God's field, he's going to grow his goodness in my life. Look at how Paul develops this. He says, so that having, and just follow the word all here, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Most of the time when you're reading the Old Testament and you're in the book of Psalms and you hear his righteousness endures forever, you think, oh, that's God. That's God here. But Psalm 112, where this passage was taken from, actually is about the person who is generous. He distributes freely, joyfully, cheerfully, right? He, he gives to the poor. That's the mark of a generous person. They see what they have and the needs of the world and they help people in that. His righteousness endures forever. It's a right. It's a good thing to do that. Giving is a good thing. And when you think about a good God, what are one of the things he does? He gives us good things to his children who seek him. 
And that's a, your heavenly father, my heavenly father. He's a good God, and, and he does good things. When we are generous, it's a good thing. And then the other thing that Paul says will happen in us is we'll be a part of God's provision. We'll be a part of God's provision. And here, look at verse 10. It says, okay, you got that one? All right, turn. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Let's just think about that. So here, we've got this seed from God, and we receive it from God, and we thank this good God for giving us what we have. And he said, you have seed for planting and seed for bread in the same seed. Some of that seed you're going to eat, or you're going to make into bread. And some of that seed, keep some of that seed to plant it so that you can have a harvest. God's going to do this all. So if you eat all the seed, and then some, you aren't going to have any seed to plant. So that's why he says, you've got to plant some of it. Now think about that. You think about how God works. He provides for us. Who does he use to provide for us? You. You're the church. God provides for this church because you choose to be generous. Every week or every month, however regular you're giving I think about that's how God provides. Why does he do that? Now, some of us would wish we could go out, open up our front door and go, God, rain it down and just catch all the dollars falling from the sky. And God could do that, but he doesn't. He sees the needs of the world and he says, I've got all my children here. I want them. I've provided for them. I want to use them to provide for others. See, God wants to take us on an adventure with him. He wants to show us how he provides by us providing for others. That's that whole picture. We become part of God's provision as people and as a church. But that's not all. Paul now moves into what a group of people who practice these things and give like there's nothing to lose can do in the lives of others. And take a look at this. He's going to grow thankfulness in us. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Take a look at that passage. It says, You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in the many thanksgivings to God. Let me just visualize this for you. You got this church in Corinth, they're wealthy, they're affluent, they're withholding. Paul says, when you give it to this need all the way over here to Jerusalem, and you as a Gentile group cross a racial boundary with Jews, and you give them, they will thank God on behalf of you. That's huge in his world. People will thank God because of you. God builds that thankfulness in us. So every Week when I see what fellowship here and at your at uh, Highcrest gives, I only see the number and I go, "Thank you, God, for meeting our needs through you." Secondly, when I see at the end of the month how much money was brought in on our budget and on our giving, and I look, "Thank you, God, for working in your people who are faithful and generous." And every year I look at the final numbers and I go, "This is where we were hoping to go, and this is what God." raised. And every year I've been here 17 years in a row. Thank you, God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
His mercy endures forever. See, it's that thankfulness that God builds. I remember my second year of seminary, my second semester, I ran out of money. I didn't have any money for second semester. So I decided to do the most I could do, and that would be pray. I just prayed. I said, God, I don't know where I'm going to come up with this money. I don't want to take on debt. Pastors don't make a whole lot, so I don't, I don't expect that. And, and all of a sudden, I got in during the break, just happened that it was at the end of the year, a family wrote to me that I grew up with, and they said, Joe, we heard you were in seminary. We had some leftover money, and we wanted to bless you. So here's a check that just is a blessing to you. I opened up the check, and I went, hey, thank you, God. You know, it was one of those things where I just saw God work. And I wasn't guaranteed, and it's never happened since, okay? So I don't keep looking in the mail for things like this. But it happened once, and it happened so powerfully in my life that I fully paid for that second semester of seminary. That whole thing has moved me into thankfulness. And then my third year of seminary, I met this woman named Cheryl Smith. And I fell in love with Cheryl Smith. And I asked her to marry me and change her name from Smith to Hishma. And she did. She did. And I didn't realize how much she made. But she was a senior analyst at the corporate headquarters of Frito-Lay. And after she got married with me, she told me how much she made. And I went, thank you, God. Thank you. Woo, I married up. And she put me through my final year of seminary. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be going into full-time ministry. And I don't know how, I'm going to ma- how much I'm going to make. Usually we start around $30,000 a year. So do you think we could live on $30,000 a year with your income, save the rest, but not get used to a lifestyle of living so that we could live more in an, as an opportunity to give rather than an obligation to give? And we did that. We lived on $30,000 our first year of marriage, and we saved the rest. And sure enough, our first year of my first ministry job, I got just over that. So we didn't have to change our style of living. And she gave up her job to move to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I said, thank you. Thank you for giving that up so that we could be used over here. And we were never paid the amount that she was paid for a long, long, long time. But I'm thankful every day to my wife who helped me in that way. What is God going to do in others' lives so that they think him for you. That's the goal of your giving. Your goal of giving isn't, man, you gave this much. Thank you so much. We wouldn't be able to work without you. No, they would. God would bring it in some other way if it's not you. And by the way, if you're not giving here, God's already doing this. He doesn't need any one of us, but we just get to be a part of this when we do. God does that. And the the second thing that he does in us is he shows his glory in us. And what I mean by that, again, think what Paul is doing. He's saying, look, you've got to make your checkbook, they didn't have checkbooks, your gold mine, whatever you have that's of worth anything, you have to make that less so that God can be greater. And living in a consumeristic market, we are defined by what we have and what we owe or not, or what we have we, by what we make, where we live, what we drive. All those things are status symbols. In other words, they give you a picture of your worth, but God says you are priceless. You are eternal. You aren't what you have. You aren't. 
You have far more in Christ than anything could pay for. You're worth far more than any income could pay you. And that's why Jesus came and lived for you and died for you and rose for you. Not because of your worth, because of the value he has on you. It's God-given value. And when you give, people will glorify. Think about that church. They don't just thank God, they glorify him. They make him greater. We have to become less for God to become greater in our lives. And that works in every area. I have to give God more time than I give myself. I have to give God more energy than I would just pursue for my own things to make him greater in my life. And money is one of those physical things where I make God greater through generosity. I just do. Because I could make myself greater by just the next gadget. Hi, I'm Joe. I love the next gadget. I will always love the next gadget. (laughs) And if this ruled my life, I wouldn't have any to give. Now think about what we're doing in India. We built 12 of those churches that you'll, you'll see when you walk down to the lower atrium today. And I want you to stop by there. Take a look at what we're building. We built 12 of those. Do you know what happens in those churches? People in India... One of the least reached places with the gospel are giving glory to God. How do they do that? Well, over here at Fellowship Bible Church in the middle of the country, equidistant from all coasts, no tsunami risk whatsoever, people were generous. And they gave the money to build that church and 11 more like it. And we want to build five more this next year so that people in India will give glory to God. On behalf of us. Look what Paul says. He just says, look, this is going to happen in Jerusalem. By the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Generosity increases the glory of God in the lives of people. Why do you give? To make God greater. To make God greater in my life through my finances the thing that enslaves us here in the United States. We have the opportunity to liberate no matter how much we make and we liberate it when we give it, when we give it away. That liberates you. Jesus was at the temple. He sees a woman. He sees her heart. She's a widow. She's destitute. She takes this little widow's mite. The widow, widow's mite. Seriously, it's that big. And as people came in with all their silver coins and they would toss it into the, 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 the collection plates, they literally were plated. They looked like horns. And you would take that and the money would go clink, 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 clink when it hit. Like a change counter at a bank, if you've ever been there. You know that? Okay. More buttons than change. All those kinds of things. Well, people were just going clink, 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 clink. So her little mite went tink. And Jesus heard it. Jesus heard it. No one else heard it. And he said, out of her poverty, she gave God everything. Jesus always knows it's the heart. It's not the amount. It's the heart. It's the heart. And this is the other thing that God grows in this. He's going to grow his love. He's going to grow his love in us. Look at how Paul says this in verse 14. He says, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's talk about that. Longing for someone. So if you're in college and you go to KU and God does something, he brings a girl into your life who goes to K-State. And I know that only love, God's love could make that happen, but it does. You are longing to be with that person. 
and you will find the money to get to that person. You will find a way. You might even hitchhike to get to that person because you long for them. See, your longing changes your generosity, your scope. And what, what Paul is saying is hey, the church in Jerusalem, they're going to long for you. They're Jewish. They don't like Gentiles. They, won't pay, they don't like paying taxes to the Roman Empire. How do you get this group racially separated from you to love you? Paul says, they'll long for you. They'll pray for you when you're generous to them. Do you know how much generosity and giving breaks down walls? How do we reach a city that wonders what in the world happens at Fellowship Bible Church? We do a thing called, with other churches, ShareFest. And we show up for four, week, four hours on one time a year, and we make a difference on those campuses of 501 schools and around this community. How do you change um, this city? You don't do it by great messages in this room. You do it when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you leave this place and you choose to love people. Don't believe like you, act like you, behave like you, vote like you, whatever. You start loving people, no strings attached. And when you give yourself away to people, through God's grace, he deepens your love for them and for each other. Folks, we've got to think about the harvest. I look at these six principles. I want them all. I want more of God's love in me. I want more of God's glory in me. I want to be more thankful because if I'm not thankful, I'll be discontent. That will rob me of even the highest income I could possibly make because I'm still lacking something. God has all this. Folks, we have nothing to lose. We have to move from scarcity to abundance. So it's springtime. You have seed. Get some of it into the soil. Put some of it into God's field. I'm not going to ask you if you don't believe fully in this thing to give 10%. Church is all about 10%. What about 1%? We all can find 1%. If you're giving nothing... 1% is something we can all move into God's field and see what he does with it. And then next year, you might want to go to 2%. And the year after that, 3%. We have people who have done that over the past 10 years. I've been tithing ever since I've been here. And I got to a point where, you know what? God has blessed me. I can give more. And I have. I've given over 10% now for about 15 years. And I, I can tell you, this is happening in my life. I'll never know how much you give. I never want to do that. And that has freed me up to call everyone into what God wants for us here. I would just encourage you, think about it. Where are you at? Begin someplace. And see this. We don't want any gimmicks here. I know churches that want people to give so bad, they'll give money back guarantees. You know, test God if he doesn't do this in your life. We'll give you your money. No, no. Stop it. This isn't a hoax. This isn't a a deal of... We don't play the world games on this. We go, no, we want to be people of faith who trust God. I'm not going to tell you that you won't... Your air conditioner won't go out this next week if you give today. I'm not, because mine did. After my greatest pledge to be a part of this building project, it went out, and it cost me. And I, at first moment, I said, what are you doing? (laughs) And then I realized he just stepped back. And God just said, just in a weird kind of way, have I always, haven't I always taken care of you? Yeah. So we have nothing to lose on this, people. And I would just say, when you get to be with Jesus for eternity, you're going to see the value of all things. That whole flip of an economic stability. All oh, that's just flip. We're going to see what lasts forever. 
and what forever is with Christ. And we're going to realize we couldn't take our money with us. Matter of fact, they just pave roads with it in heaven. That's all they do with it. It's asphalt up there. We have the opportunity to be a part of taking the gospel from one person to the next and to change eternity this side of heaven. I want you to be a part of that. So however it's going to look, like I told you, we're not taking another offering. So if you want to do this, you'll find the money to find, get there and you'll find a way to give. And so I just want to give you that and I want to give freedom for you and the Holy Spirit to work this out. Especially if you're married and you're not on the same page. Agree on an amount that you both are good with. My wife's the huge giver. I'm the saver. I always have learned over 27 years of marriage. At least meet her halfway. She wants to give more. I want to give less. And so it's always good that, we have an, that we're both on the same page. And when we give together, God grows us in all of these, in our relationship. Okay? I went over, and I'm sorry. I really am. But we're going to celebrate communion now because we're going to go back to the, how this whole conversation began of thanking God for his inexpressible, fantabulous gift of Christ. We're going to take two elements here. One's the bread and one's the cup. And the bread represents the body of Jesus, the life of Jesus that he lived perfectly for us, the one we can't live that he did for us. And the other is his sacrifice, his death on the cross. And that's which paid our price. All of this is through God's grace. It's because he chose to become poor, even though he was rich in heaven, he became poor to live, die, and rise for us. It's out of the generosity of God that we have the grace of God in a relationship with Christ. When you receive these items, here's all I want you to do. If you believed in Christ, put your faith in him, just say, thank you. Thank you. And then we'll celebrate together. Hang on to these elements so that we can do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I trust now your spirit to work in each of us. Help us to give like there's nothing to lose so that we might experience the nothing to lose life that's found in following Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.